training one day and she's like, you're just like a little barnacle, like a, a mighty barnacle of death. And that just caught on. You're listening to the Run the Riot podcast, where we talk about all things ultra running. I'm your host, David Terrio, and man, I'm pumped that you are here. Let's see what we can get into today. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to this week's episode of the Run the Riot podcast. Uh, we had to skip a week last week. I was on retreat, getting refreshed. It was good. It was a technology-free weekend. Man, I can't tell you how good that is. I think I'm going to do a, a midweek motivation coming up this week and talk about stepping away from a little while and getting refocused. Um, so be looking for that. But this weekend for this podcast, man, we've got a treat for you. We've got Shannon the Menace O'Grady. She's got some other cool nicknames, but you'll have to listen to the podcast to hear them. Man, this is a great conversation. We had fun. Uh, I have to admit, we talk uh, about jujitsu for a while at the beginning. So if you're not into jujitsu, well, you just have to put up with it, but it's got some good crossover material uh, with trail running, and we do talk about trail running in the middle of it. Uh, but Shannon is COO and CPO of Gnarly Nutrition, and uh, she's got her PhD in nutritional physiology. Uh, like I said, she's also an avid jiu-jitsu practitioner. She's a trail runner. She's a climber. She's an active mom and a wife. I mean, she wears all kinds of hats. And, uh, man, she knows a lot about uh, nutrition. And that's what her degree's in. So uh, we talk about a tons of different things, uh, great tips on protein, uh, BCAAs, creatine, balanced eating, all kinds of fun. And so, uh, man, I really appreciate it. Had a great conversation with Shannon. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. But before we get started, we need to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Outlaw Race Series. Have you checked it out yet? You need to check it out. www.outlaw100.com. In fact, the Saturday when this is released, I'll be running at Lake McMurtry in Stillwater. Um, yeah, it's a great race. I'll be doing the 50K. There's some others doing 100K. It's going to be awesome. Uh, there's also the Greater Roadrunner Trail Run at Roman Nose State Park in Watonga, Oklahoma. Flower Moon in Pawhuska in May. Uh, I'll be doing the 50 mile there. Uh, there's the Dark and Dirty in Wilburton, the Thunderbird in Norman. There's the Outlaw 100. That's the flagship. It's distances anywhere from 135 miles all the way down to 5K, and that's in February. And there's also the Flat Rock in Independence, Kansas. And so lots of great races put on by great people. Uh, you need to check them out, uh, if you, especially if you live in Oklahoma. If you live in Oklahoma, you need to be at these races. They're awesome. Um, also, we're brought to you by the Full Moon 50K in Arkansas, Perryville, Arkansas. Uh, Saturday, July 16th and 17th. There's a 25K, a 50K, and a 50 mile. For information, go to fullmoon50k.com. Hey, and listen, if you use the code RTR2021, that stands for Run the Riot 2021, you get 10% off. So, like, you have to run it. It's a race that started, why is it the 16th and 17th for only a 50K or 50 mile? Well, it starts at, like... I don't even remember. I think nine o'clock at night starts at night. No, it's not nine o'clock. It's not that late, but just go to the website. I'm running it and I don't even remember. Um, and so, uh, but it starts at night and it's cause it's hot and it's humid, but it's great. And, uh, amazing aid stations, amazing people, uh, always have a blast with the people running this race. So, um, so check out the full moon 50 K proceeds from the race, as well as all donations go to the Arkansas ultra running cross country fund. Um, and they fund equipment purchases in areas with a large concentration of low income students and also uh, it benefits the Logan Wilcoxon Memorial Fund uh, that benefits the Arkansas chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So uh, man, great race, great people and great causes. We're also brought to you by Pure 
Tiva. Check PureTiva out. It's a made in the USA, bioavailable delivery system, uh, CBD products. I love the roll-on uh, CBD. has got magnesium infused in it. And uh, man, I, if I start having issues with the muscle or knee or something like that, I, I, I put it on there and it helps. And the Tiva tabs are awesome. Go to Tiva, T-I-V-A, dot the riot, dot run uh, to check that out. And last but certainly not least, we are brought to you by Runner's World Tulsa. If you're coming through the Tulsa area, if you live in the area, you need shoes, you need running stuff, anything for running, you know, they've got it. Packs, lights, uh, watches, um, like I said, even a treadmill with an altitude tent over it. You need that? Go run it over there. They've got it. All right, go to runnersworldtulsa.com if you're not in the area and see what they have. They've also got some races up there. I think that's everything. All right, well, let's get going with Shannon the Menace O'Grady. So today on the podcast, we have Dr. Shannon, the menace O'Grady, who is also known as the barnacle of death. I'm so excited to talk to you today. How are you doing, Shannon? I'm doing great. That's probably the best intro I've ever gotten. So thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, we, we, we're going to uh, have to unpack what that means. I think I have, I have an inkling of what that means. But uh, so Shannon does, uh, we have some things in common. Not only has she been an endurance athlete, but she's also, she's a, she loves jujitsu. I can tell <laughs> just through talk, talking to her and that's how she's got some of these nicknames. Um, so uh, what, what belt are you right now in jujitsu? I am a purple belt, four stripes. So on the cusp of one of these, you know, summer months of getting testing for my brown belt. Nice, nice. So for those of you who don't know, jujitsu is not. It takes a while to 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 belt up, especially in the in the I guess legit um, reputable uh, schools. And it it takes you know white belt, you get four stripes, and then you know you blue belt, and then you get stripes, and then, so it takes a while. So purple belt. I just, all that to say is she got skills. <laughs> so as I was researching you, as I said, I saw uh, the menace. I saw, and, and then you just told me <laughs> barnacle of death. So does that speak to how you play jujitsu, how you do jujitsu? A, l- a little bit. Yeah. So um, mighty barnacle of death was given by some teammates. I, I mean, for those that don't know, like there are a number of dominant positions in jujitsu, one of which is getting on someone's back where essentially you look like a human backpack and, and you can, you know, do a number of chokes from there. You can do arm bar, you can do a number of things from there. And, um, I, that's kind of my preferred route for submission preferred, um, position. And, uh, and they were joking that like, once I get on your back, you can't get me off and um, it's usually, uh, there's an end point coming. And so that name, just, she, we were just training one day and she's like, you're just like a little barnacle, like a, a mighty barnacle of death. And that just caught on. And then, um, the menace and then the bully were both given to me by one of my coaches who's, you know, in some ways giving how menacing he is, is it was a huge compliment. Um, he just did great in the ADCC trials, which is kind of the Olympics of jujitsu yeah. um, made it to the semifinals. And um, so was, you know, even though those seem 
kind of like uh, not the best nicknames for me. <laughs> they hold a special place in my heart. That's great. That's great. <laughs> oh man, I love it. I love it. So, how, how long have you been uh, doing jujitsu? Um, it'll be six years. Uh, no, it's been been six years now. Um, okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, so I have to tell you this. So I, I, I did, I wrestled in high school. I did some judo in college and then, um, and then I found jujitsu and just once, once I, uh, got over that it's good. It's okay to be on your back because in, in wrestling, you automatically turn to your stomach and yeah. then jujitsu, you do that, you get choked, <laughs> you know, somebody named barnacle of death will choke <laughs> you if you give them your back. Um, but, uh, I tore my ACL, um, and, um, I discovered running through rehabbing my knee and, you know, while, while my knee was healing, I wasn't, I wasn't doing, you know, jujitsu. So I started running and doing races and, and I, and I, I did a little bit, uh, but I haven't got back to it and man, I miss it. It's been a while. It's been a good while, but I, I, I miss it. <laughs> I Funny, our, our stories are kind of compliments of each other. So I was always a runner, um, kind of got into endurance running in college and graduate school and did a number of endurance events and just kind of suited my personality. It's also, um, you know, I was in a, a doctorate or doctoral program for biology in grad school, um, with a focus on nutritional physiology. And so kind of researching that, and then also, you know, becoming an endurance athlete, you quickly learn if you don't have your nutrition dialed, you're not going to finish a race. So that was a great overlap of my passions and interests. And so that was kind of always what I did. And, um, and I found jujitsu through gnarly, the company I work with, we did like a team building, you know, event at a jujitsu gym that was near our office and pretty much, you know, was instantaneously like really curious about it. And I was training for a, a 50 at the time, a 50 miler at the time. And I was like, as soon as I'm done with this race, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try it. I'm just gonna see. And, um, well, always be a runner. Like I, I need to be on the trails. It's just good for my soul. Like jujitsu quickly yeah. my passion. Um, yeah. so I haven't really, I've done a few races here and there, but I haven't really trained for anything big since I, um, started training jujitsu. Yeah. I won't say that I hadn't said this to my wife yet, but I'm thinking jujitsu would be good cross training for, for uh, you know, a few times a week. I, I'm mean, gonna, I tell myself that, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's, I feel like jujitsu is cross training for everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really it is. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, when you were doing endurance running, what kind of, um, what kind of races you said you were training for a 50 mile or what was your, your favorite, um, you know, race to, to get into? Yeah, I, um, probably my favorite race ever. I, I love climbing, even though it's horrible and I love being on ridge lines. and I did the rut in Montana the first year that they held it. Okay. Um, and it's a 50 K I forget the elevation gain, but it's ridiculous. Um, and it was just gorgeous. You go, you know, up to the, the main peak, I think it's called Lone Peak at Big Sky. I can't remember, but you, you go up the main peak and it's kind of like a mix between scrambling and that day it was raining. And so the mountains were super moody and it was beautiful. And I think it's that kind of experience that I love. Um, so just getting up in pretty beautiful terrain and experiencing the terrain, that's, that's my, my favorite kind of thing, no matter the distance. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Well, um, 
I had a few more jujitsu questions. Um, sure. Yeah. So, so um, do you prefer gi or, or no gi? I prefer no gi, but I okay. train both. Um, okay. Yeah. I, our gym trains both and we kind of switch off on a weekly basis and I mm-hmm. compete in both. Yeah. I used to always like to do that at, at a tournament because you kind of get your, get your bang for your buck. You can c- compete weight class, gi, no gi, and then absolute gi, no gi, which was not always smart because I wasn't that big. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I do, I do the same thing with absolute just because yeah. it's, you know, tournaments aren't cheap and yeah. it's a great experience, you know, and I wrestle and, and um, fight against bigger guys in the gym all the time. So bigger women don't scare me so much. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. mine as well. And it feels like, you know, they're really, it's really no expectations. You just go into it for fun. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I had, a, I had a big guy almost pop my head like a zit, but it was, it was, it was it, 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 I did good. I mean, I held my own for a while, but <laughs> well, uh, I'm curious when you started jujitsu with a judo and wrestling back background, we, I, in my gym, we always put an asterisk next to people like you, like you shouldn't start with a white belt. Yeah. <laughs> like you yeah. should start with a blue belt at yeah. least. Yeah. It, it, uh, I always had a lot of people tell me like, how heavy are you? And I was like, I'm, I'm 170. And they were like, you feel like 200 pounds. And that's just from the, the you know, the wrestling background, just being heavy yeah. on top of people. And then once, once I got, once I, uh, got comfortable on my back, I actually, I would, I, would, I wouldn't pull guard, but I got, if I ended up on my back, I, I felt comfortable with it and, um, you know, I don't know, progressed and it, it, it was helpful to have that background, you know, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, but I had to learn not to try to muscle through. In fact, in fact, that's, that's how I tore my ACL. I was a blue belt trying to do some goofy white belt, uh, muscle out of something and, and, you know, bent my, my, my knee sideways. So anyway, it was, it was my fault. <laughs> uh, so, um, so you, uh, you train pretty, uh, so I was at gi or no gi, you, you said no gi. And I, I, I preferred no gi from wrestling. Um, but, uh, I, I still like to play gi cause the chokes are fun and, and yeah. all that. It's a little more of a chess match a lot of times for, you know, um, and are you comfortable like on, you, I know you're comfortable on somebody else's back, but are you comfortable? <laughs> <laughs> are you comfortable on your back? Yeah, you know, I it's it's funny in playing a little more gi, I've gotten more comfortable and interested in a lot of what you can the moves you can do on your back. Um, yeah. So playing with De La Hiva a lot, and looking playing with lapels and um, playing a little worm guard and things like that. You know, yeah. the all interesting things you can do from your back that you can do in a gi that you can't do no gi necessarily as at least as effectively um as far as daily hevo but um yeah so i would say i'm a better top player um but i also really have fun um you know playing bottom and uh i usually when i go into tournaments even though i'm not good at takedowns as far as a wrestler and a judo yeah. <laughs> um athlete are concerned Um, I would love to be better at takedowns and I usually try, um, to do a takedown. I'd say, um, I'm pretty damn good at guillotines and I've ended a couple of matches in, you know, under a minute with a good guillotine. So always try, always try for that. You can end a match in under a minute. It's a really good way to progress in a tournament. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the one video I was able to find, uh, was of you finishing and I don't, you finished a guillotine. It was, uh, it was, uh. I, I don't even know what the, it was a no gi match and you finished it with a guillotine. So that's, that's yeah, cool. <laughs> that was at master worlds. Um, at, 
Nogi Master Master Worlds at Purple Belt. Um, it was pretty cool because I just that was my first tournament at Purple Belt. I just got my Purple Belt two weeks ago, and uh, and I ended up winning gold and I got silver and absolute. So it was pretty pretty amazing. Um, Dude, that's so sweet. Yeah, it kind of blew, blew my mind. I mean, I think that's the interesting thing about jujitsu is you can go up against the same opponent and have you know a number of different ends like. Yeah. I may have won that tournament doesn't mean, you know, I, I did, um, nogi pans a year later and got my butt kicked, you know, yeah. so <laughs> it, it, yeah. it's, if anything, I think that's the cool thing about jujitsu is it it's empowering, but it's also humbling often. Yeah. And, mm. um, anybody that's done it and done it for long enough, you know, realizes that. And mm-hmm. I think it's a, a powerful lesson of the sport. Well, one of the beautiful things, and, and this is a, it's a lot like trail running. I have, you know, friends that I'll, I'll be competing against at the starting line, you know, and, and we're competing, but we're, you know, we're friends and we'll, we'll talk and we'll share trail and, you know, sometimes they'll win, sometimes I'll win, you know, and it's, and it's, it's good. It's, it's a good, healthy camaraderie. And I've had friends that I met at tournaments on the mat that are still friends, you know, and we competed against each other. And then, you know, after I won or they won, you know, afterwards we're talking about, man, what were you trying to do here? And how did you, what was that reversal you did when I was going for the the necktie, you know, whatever. And it's just, um, it's, it's, I, I love that, you know, of course there's some, in every sport, there's some boneheads and stuff, but, but for the most part, there's that, I don't know, everybody just working together to, to be better at the sport, you know? Yeah. I mean, you made the comparison to chess earlier and I think it's a, a really good comparison. Um, and it's something that you, you can never, I mean, of course there are masters of jujitsu, you know, that have been doing it for decades and decades, but in reality, most people that practice jujitsu never really master it. And I think we all realize that. So we're all in it together, constantly trying to get better and you can always learn something from your teammates and your competitors. And, um, it just brings together people from all walks of life, um, which I also really appreciate. It's a great community. Yeah. Um, the other question I had about jujitsu and, and I wondered because I, I don't have where, where I live now, I don't have any direct friends that are, that are doing jujitsu, but how, how did uh, COVID affect training? I, I did see a picture of, of like people rolling, you know, wearing masks and, and how, how did that affect uh, the, you know, the past couple of years? Yeah. So for a while, our gym was closed down um, and our instructor uh, posted kind of zoom classes. Yeah. Um, his significant other, who's a, a woman I strength train with, um, she's a purple belt as well. So, so they would do partner drills and I'm lucky enough. My husband, um, also trains, he's a white belt, which is really funny, but <laughs> so you beat yeah. for a while, <laughs> for a while. He's, yeah. he's a climber. So his strength is like ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but technique wise at least. Yeah. And, uh, and so I had someone to train with a little bit. I also did, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, gymnastica, uh-uh. natural it's kind of um it so it was started by another kind of well-known jujitsu family and it's kind of a mix of um yoga and primal movement and jujitsu all combined into one huh. um and so they do a lot of flows that okay. mimic um a lot of jujitsu moves but are also really great for strength and flexibility and so i started doing that a little bit on my own too mm. um and, you know, I, we figured it out and then, yeah. um, started training in masks and luckily our gym never had a, a breakout of COVID and everybody stayed healthy. Um, and then we slowly stopped, you know, once everyone was vaccinated, slowly stopped training in masks and, um, it's been good. And I think 
are because of the way our black belt kind of handled the Zoom accounts, people that could still uh, afford to pay for memberships um, did. And so that kept the gym afloat. That's good. Um, you know, so it was, re- it was great, but it's a, it's a good community of folks that have trained for a while and have seen our gym grow and progress. And so, um, you know, it kind of made us stronger, um, yeah. as far as, uh, you know, sticking together went. Yeah. Oh, and that, for that first time where you, where you get together and train again, is probably just really sweet, you know, to be in the same, <laughs> same place, same, you know, yeah. Com- completely. Yeah. yeah. Training together period. And then training together without a mask, because, um, as you know, like jujitsu can get pretty high intensity and having a piece of cloth over your face while you're doing it. Yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> can make it even more intense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when we're at altitude in Salt Lake. So the combination of altitude being unfit for not training for a couple <laughs> a few months and then a mask as well was, was quite the challenge. It must've sounded interesting. <laughs> it's just m- totally. muffled, uh, muffled howling. And st- <laughs> totally. Oh man. Well, uh, I'm, uh, do, the, uh, the other question, do you, uh, um, do you keep up with MMA? Do you, do you watch much MMA? Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm, um, I'm a little more into the women's MMA, yeah. uh, you know, than I am men's MMA, but I do follow a bit. Um, we often, you know, watch the UFC together with friends from the gym. And, um, I have some friends that I've competed either alongside or against that also, um, you know, fight MMA in, in the LFA. Um, so also pay attention to how they're doing and how their fights go. Yeah, that's cool. I think I lo- if I had found jujitsu at a younger age, maybe like I, um, my kids both train and we started them at a gym that taught both jujitsu and Muay Thai. Mm. And I helped teach and learned a little bit about Muay Thai. And if I had more time, I would hundred percent train that as well. Yeah. Um, it's it, yeah, just the striking and kicking aspect of it is super, super interesting. Yeah. Well, you said your kids train too. And that was one of the beautiful things. Uh, both my daughters and my son trained with me and we'd all go to the, you know, we go to tournaments together. So we'd be all of us competing in a tournament and it was so fun. And my daughter had a cool nickname. It was princess war machine. Um, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah. Yeah. So when I bought her her first MMA grappling glove, MMA gloves to princess war machine. So it was pretty, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's such a, it's a good skill set for all kids to have defense, you know, self-defense wise, but I also think it teaches perseverance and hard work and, um, you know, just fighting through discomfort, which those are important things. I think yeah. for kids to learn early, you know, not to give up. Yeah. And, and for a dad, man, to have your kids uh, be comfortable, you know, grappling and know some self-defense then and know how to take, how to handle themselves, you know, um, I, that I felt good about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I, nobody want to mess with princess war machine, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but you're talking about MMA and I, I love watching. I, I leaned, I, I watched the, 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 the fights. I like the fights, but, but with the background, I love like watching Ryan Hall, you know, the wizard role and uh, Joe Lewis on and all these guys who are just excellent grapplers and, and kind of out of the box with what they do. Um, anyway, where the people are like, what are they doing? It's hit him, punch him. I'm like, no, this is awesome. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I fall on your side too. Like I'm looking for the jujitsu or the wrestling moves, you know, in what they're doing. And I'm definitely, what I think is cool is when you have someone who's a striker versus someone who's 
more, you know, ground oriented yeah. and seeing who wins out and how they deal with each other's like tool set. It's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Do you, are you like me when you're watching it? Are you doing the, the, the clinching and the moving and the, like the, the look like you're having a seizure? Is it just that me? And like, what, what I always laugh is I'm, I'm coaching yeah. also like yes. a, a purple belt from Salt Lake city uh, <laughs> would really give the advice. You know, I hear myself yelling out direction. It's kind of funny. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Get pretty into it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm not alone. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, well, so we, I had to get out, get that out the way. And, uh, who knows? I might, you, you I might send you a picture of me and a gi pretty soon. We'll see. Oh, dude, dude. <laughs> I might have to put a gi on soon, but, uh, so I introduced you out of the titles. When I introduced you, uh, the first one was, was, was doctor. So you, you, and you, you, you talked about that a little bit when you were in college, you have your PhD in, um, it's in nutrition, right? Especially specialized in nutrition. Yeah. Well, so it's in nutritional physiology. Okay. Um, my, my PhD is in biology and then, um, okay the work that I did was, was kind of in how we take nutrients in and, and the body uses them, okay. not necessarily at that point, specific to sports performance. I then did some research projects following up um, that really looked at how um, diet and activity affected how water is metabolized in the body. Mm. Um, so it got a little more, more sports specific then, but um, it was, it was really my own interest kind of in, in endurance sports that I really found during graduate school, which overlapped with kind of that research driven, uh, path yeah. that, uh, landed me where I am now. So working for, for gnarly a sports nutrition company. Nice. Nice. So you, you were kind of, you were doing that research, uh, and then you, uh, how you said you've been with, with, how long have you been with gnarly? I didn't ask that. Yeah. So I've been with gnarly about almost seven years now. Um, I was, was a research assistant professor at the university of Utah for a while and okay. was kind of trying to decide what I wanted to do. Decided staying in Utah was going to be part of my long-term plan just because the accessibility to the mountains and, um, everything that they bring, you know, running, mountain biking, skiing, it's, it's really convenient to have yeah. it all in my backyard, you know, and be able to go do those things after work or before work. Um, I didn't want to move to any city just to take a tenure track position at a college. Um, yeah. I did really enjoy teaching and, and research, but I don't know, I wanted to have a little more control. So the supplement industry is pretty big in Utah. And, um, I thought given my training in nutrition, um, that would be a good, a good kind of segue for me into industry and started there and um, worked for a larger company doing uh, some product development and label review and then moved and worked for a manufacturer and did some work in quality control and making sure that they um, followed FDA regulations as far as dietary supplements are concerned. And then um, found gnarly about that time through a friend that was a, a pro skier and sponsored by them. And uh, sent them a note kind of with my resume and what I thought I could help them with and started working kind of as a contractor and moved on from there. So it's nice. been fun to see gnarly grow and, and really have, uh, a major role in product development and, and, um, working with athletes and, and on their nutrition. Well, that has to be fun. And, and looking over, uh, the types of athletes that gnarly works with, I mean, of course they're, they're, you know, martial arts practitioners, climbers, uh, ultra runners. It's, it's a, it's a wide range. And, uh, 
I don't know. It sounds like it. One of the things that you do is try to help figure out how to <laughs> how to get people to fuel what they do, right? Yeah, I mean, we are we're definitely like we'll say we're a whole foods first company, so we definitely believe okay. like we're supplemental and we should yeah. be supplemental. But we all know life gets in the way of our best intentions sometimes with nutrition. Yeah, and um, you know, being a mom that works full time and tries to train a lot, and you know, yeah. also be present with my family sometimes having a quick solution as far as, um, something that I need to help me perform my best or feel my, feel my best is, is better than making a, a bad choice. Um, yeah. and so that's kind of where gnarly stands. And, um, we try to produce products that are clean and that people can trust, you know, we're NSF certified, which is a, a third party quality organization that tests all of our products for contaminants like microbes and, uh, heavy metals and pesticides. And then a lot of our products are also NSF for, for sport certified, which means that all of the um, substances on the US anti-doping agency and world anti-doping agency banned substances list of which there are like 300. Wow. Um, so our pro every lot of a product that we manufacture is tested for those 300 substances. So pro athletes can take our products and know that they're not going to test positive for a banned substance, which has been a problem with the supplement industry in the past. So like, you know, yeah. the, the uh, Atlanta Braves just started buying our products and nice. um, St. Louis Cardinals started buying our products. So they're really, you know, pro teams and athletes of that level that are looking for, for products that are effective and products that they know are clean. Um, so that's what we, we try to provide. We don't have a lot of fancy marketing claims. We don't use a lot of like branded ingredients or weird proprietary names. We just try to be upfront about what is in our products and what our products will accomplish. And, mm. um, you know, I think consumers really appreciate that, especially in an industry that often is fraught with, you know, marketing misinformation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I read somewhere that your label, you actually put the what's what's in the product and not proprietary blend uh or you like you said with a, a strange name and it's like you know five milligrams of that whatever that is yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that a lot of times you'll see you know for folks that have supplements if you know if you pick up your supplement you might see like i don't know like antioxidant super berry blend you know and it'll say like five grams and then it'll list 50 ingredients right yeah you have no idea. I mean, it could be 4.9 grams of the cheapest ingredient and 0.1 gram of the ingredient that you're really interested in, mm. you know, and supplement companies do that for a number of reasons. One, it's a way to cut down costs Two, it's a way to get around testing. If something's in a blend, they don't actually have to test for any of the ingredients mm. that are in that blend. Mm. Um, so it, it's, there's no really good reason to do it because it's not, the, those blends aren't patented. There's nothing, you know, unique yeah. about those blends. It, it, yeah. yeah. It, it's just a way to kind of hide things that they should be transparent about. Yeah. Yeah. So take a second look at your products. If they, if they do use proprietary blends, that would be my suggestion. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, so you guys, when you got, when you, um, I guess, arrived at gnarly, what, what was, um, where were, where were they, you know, what was their flagship product where, you know, cause I know I started looking at some of the things and, uh, I want to start to unpack that a little bit and talk specifically about like ultra running because it's ultra running podcast and we hadn't yeah. talked much about it yet, but, <laughs> but, but so, so where were they and, and how, how have they come 
how far have they come with pro- the products and stuff? Sure. So they started with protein, um, kind of as the kind of flagship gnarly products added branch chain amino acids. Um, we had, when I came, I helped develop a hydration product, which really about getting electrolytes and water effectively into your body, a little bit of sugar, which helps actively push water into your system. So you're using passive diffusion and active diffusion, but not enough sugar to really be a fuel source. So really about replacing what you lose when you sweat. So electrolytes and water. Um, And, you know, we added some other products along the way, but we realized that to effectively speak to the endurance community, we needed to have a, a fueling product because although there are a number of products in our line, like protein is, can be helpful for endurance runners in terms of, recovery, you know, our hydration product, if you look to get more fuel from solids can be effective for endurance runners. But a lot of endurance athletes, when they think of sports specific nutrition, think of fueling products that they're going to use while they're running. And we had kind of a massive gap in our product line. And so um, I think it's about a year or so ago, we introduced fuel 2.0, which is our um, kind of all in one hydration fuel. Um, We have a an ingredient in there called HMB, which is a metabolite of a branch chain amino acid that helps um, minimize muscle protein breakdown during the run. So especially on the ultra runs, right, where your protein intake is pretty low, like some people are able to get in some protein on longer runs where their effort level is lower, but protein takes longer to digest and often it's harder to digest without amino acids or protein in your system and constantly being in somewhat of a caloric deficit just based on the amount of calories you're able to take in, you start breaking down muscle. And so having something in the product that helps minimize that, it's not going to fully prevent it, but helps minimize it um, could, could really impact how you recover from that race and potentially how you do during the race. Nice. nice. And that that was going to be my question. You know, how, how is, you know, fuel 2.0 different from some of the other products out there is, is that the, the main, you know, one of the main things, Um, Yeah, I'd say that's the main differentiator in terms of efficacy. Um, We always get people telling us that our products taste better than major competitors. And we Hmm. spend a lot of time, our products are at a bit of a higher price point because of that, um, both in terms of sourcing quality ingredients that um, meet our customers' needs as far as minimizing allergens. So we don't make sure there's no soy in our product. We make, make sure all of our ingredients are gluten-free. If we can make a product vegan, we do. And it's not because we are against gluten or against soy or, you know, a vegan company, but if we can make a product accessible to as many people as possible, why not do it? And sometimes sourcing flavors and sourcing ingredients that meet those requirements makes the product a little bit more expensive, but it also makes the product taste better. And if it doesn't taste good, you're not going to want to drink it. So um, I think that's a a big part of it too. I've had people say, it's like, I just had a friend who's a a endurance athlete text me um, last weekend and he had used fuel to our limeade flavor on, um, on one of his runs. And he was like, that was the easiest 200 calories I've ever consumed. Mm. So um, it's, you know, that's the kind of feedback I'm looking for. And of course, you know, everybody has a different taste palette and nutrition is one of those things where one thing doesn't necessarily work for everyone. So yeah. I'm sure, you know, as much as, you know, I do that 
you've got to practice nutrition. You've got to on your long runs, you have to practice what you're going to do on your race days. You have to practice with the product you're going to use, the food you're going to eat. Um, because much as the old adage goes, don't try anything new on race day. I think a lot of people don't apply that to the nutrition part of it. And that's yeah. where things can go south. So if you really want to capitalize on all that hard work and the months and months of training you've been doing, you need to have a nutrition strategy and you need to, to start working on it as soon as you start training for your, for your race. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as much as like, as far as like protein after a workout or after a run or whatever, like, like I don't care too much about like, I mean, t- I like it to taste good and stuff, but I'm not too worried about it. But, but when you're running, especially when you're in the middle of a race and it's hot, your palate is, is sensitive. And I've had, and, uh, I'm not putting them down or, and I've shared this on the podcast before tailwind used to work really well for me and it was great until it wasn't anymore. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I just, I couldn't stomach, I, I, I drank it for the Tahoe 200 the whole way. And, and I just, I can't stomach it anymore. I've, you know, I've tried. And so, um, you know, I guess, I don't know, palate fatigue or mental, whatever, it just doesn't work. And so, you know, I think, I think the more people know about what's out there and like you said, train with it, um, you know, it, it's helpful, you know? Yeah. I mean, Tailwind's a great product. I think formulation wise, it's totally on target, but people like different things and, you know, how things dissolve and what they taste like and how long you've used it. All of those things can come into play. Um, so yeah, definitely try different things, see what works for you. Don't be afraid to mix it up. Yeah. So as, as far as, you know, training and endurance, because, you know, people that are listening, there are people that, that, that race a lot, people that are just kind of, um, weekend warriors that do different things. Um, nutrition overall, um, what do you, when you're talking to athletes, when you're helping athletes, you know, when you're trying to figure out products and stuff to help people, what do you find like the biggest mistake that particularly in endurance runners or endurance athletes that they make? What, what kind of, I don't know, what kind of mistakes are they making? Yeah. So combination of things, uh, you know, while I am a big proponent of the idea of fat adaptation, you know, and training to get your body to use fat, um, I am also a big proponent of using carbohydrates as a fuel. Um, and I think a lot of people in this day and age, you know, in the eighties, it was, you know, fat was the enemy and now carbs are the enemy. Um, and so demonizing food, whether it be a particular food or a macronutrient is a common thing that I see. And while I think a low carb diet can work for a lot of people. And I'm sure, you know, Mike McKnight, he's mm-hmm. been a gnarly athlete for a while. Yeah. Clearly he's a you know, low carb runner. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. His, his, his handle, Instagram yeah. handle. And, yeah. and uh, you know, that helps with his fat adaptation and that works for him. That's not going to work for everybody right. the way he eats and the way he trains. Um, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm also saying that, you know, just because a pro runner is doing it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you. And for the majority of people, you know, timing carbs correctly around Mm -hmm. your runs is going to make a huge difference in terms of performance. And even Mike will tell you, you know, he's done his zero calorie runs, but when he go out, when he goes out and he races, you know, and he's looking for a result, he consumes carbohydrates during his run and his everyday diet. And a lot of the training that he does has, increase the ability of his body to use fat stores that he has on board. And that's great, but he doesn't fuel with fat, you know, during those races, he fuels with carbohydrates. Right. Yeah. Races. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
yeah, I mean, I think that's a big mistake. Um, and, you know, carbs are really important part of, of fueling athletics. And so not being afraid to use them and afraid to time them appropriately around your runs. Um, when I get up and run in the morning, you know, I'll wake up 30 minutes early and grab a couple of graham crackers from my, you know, kids <laughs> supply, yeah. you know, and that helps tremendously with what I get out of my morning training runs um, because it boosts my blood glucose. So if I'm trying, to, if I'm going to hit the track and I'm going to do track intervals or I'm going to do um, some kind of higher, you know, level um, or higher intensity training, yeah, taking in carbs is going to be important. If I'm just going for a, you know, 90 minute low intensity run, not so important. Right. So really making sure that your nutrition fits what you're asking your body to do is key. The other big mistake I think um, is I feel like a lot of endurance athletes don't understand the importance of protein in their diets and mm. might not um, pay attention to either the amounts or the quality of protein they're taking in because they see that as a focus of more strength athletes um, and really recommendations from a lot of uh, nutrition scientists and RDs have increased uh, protein recommends for endurance athletes from what was like one to 1.2 grams of protein per kilo per day up to 1.6 grams of protein per kilo per day, which is wow. where you see the recommendations for strength athletes start. Um, <laughs> and what's really cool is the studies show like while strength athletes, you know, depending on their diet and training might use extra protein to, to build muscle endurance athletes that consume more protein. You see an increase in mitochondria and their muscles. You see an increase in mitochondrial related enzymes. So all things that are really important for aerobic energy output. Um, so in that case, like the, the need or, mm. or the, um, the training impetus that you're, you know, giving your body really dictates how your body uses that macronutrient, which I think is super cool. Nice. nice. Yeah. And, you know, and that's one of the things that, cause I've, I've lifted weights and, and, but I do running and, and no matter if I'm lifting or running, when I come home, I have a, I make a protein shake, you know, with, right. you know, avocado and some other stuff in it and collagen. How important is collagen? <laughs> what, what's What other protein you have in that protein shake? Uh, what, what other protein? Mm -hmm. It's, it's whey protein. Good. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what, right, I was just going to say, because a lot of people think, oh, collagen protein. I'm going to oh, use yeah, it yeah. all the time. I add but it it's too, a really but, yeah. crappy recovery protein. Like oh, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's low in branched-chain amino acids. It's low in essential amino acids. So why, while it can be helpful for musculoskeletal tissue strength, joint yeah. you know, strength, um, when I hear people replacing it, so if yeah. you had just said collagen was the only source <laughs> of protein, I was going to get upset. But um, one collagen point for you, though, that I will tell you. Um, mm -hmm. So it may not matter so much if you're using it like regularly and you're, you don't have a specific injury that you're hoping to help, but let's say you just injured your ACL like you did in jujitsu, mm -hmm. right. And you're doing ACL rehab. So most of the research with collagen actually shows that um, it's important to take it before you exercise or rehab the joint that you're trying to help or the joint of interest. Yeah. Cause there's nothing really telling collagen like, 
go to David's knees, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> like yeah. it's it's trans those peptides, those amino acids are transported all over your body. Yeah. So taking it about 45 minutes to an hour before you exercise or rehab that joint gives mm. your body enough time to digest it and break down those peptides and amino acids. And then you're essentially using the increased blood flow to that joint through yeah. exercise or rehab as a transport mechanism to bring those collagen peptides to that joint. So most people use it incorrectly. I think if you're, if you're just kind of using it for maintenance, like not, you know, for me, at least like I'm in my forties and hope, and I'm in a high impact sport. By taking it, it'll, it'll hopefully, you know, make my knees and, um, you know, elbows a little bit more robust, but, um, if you're taking it for a specific injury, like if you, a lot of the research into collagen shows that it can be helpful with osteoarthritic joints, that it can be helpful with um, sport related, like, so non-arthritic sport related pain. So if your knees just hurt a lot from running, but, but you, a doctor hasn't said you have anything specific wrong yeah. in those cases, I would hundred percent make sure you're taking it before you exercise and not taking it after. Might take it both because I did tear my ACL again <laughs> and every oh, now and then it gets sore because I, the trampoline really messed it up that time. So anyway, we'll <laughs> might do both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So go ahead and do both and, uh, but make sure you're still getting in a good amount of high quality protein. That's really going to help with your recovery from your runs. Yeah. So whey protein is a great example of that. No, that's, that's good. I mean, and, and I think, like you said, a lot of runners don't, concentrate on, you know, they don't worry about protein and we are breaking our muscles down when we're out and getting, getting workouts. We need, you know, we need, we need the blocks to build things back up, you know, to help recover. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's only going to help. I think a lot of people see like protein and think like, Oh, bulk, like yeah. I'm an endurance athlete. I don't want to be bulky, Yeah. but, um, it's, I mean, if you, you were a, a weightlifter or you were a wrestler and you've weightlifted a little bit, like, I think most people don't realize how hard it is to actually put on muscle to like mass gain. Yeah. Um, and it's not just increasing your protein. You have to increase total amount of calories. So actually increasing the protein in your diet is a great way to lose weight and maintain muscle, but it, 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 it would never just increase your muscle simply because you increased it, the amount of protein. Gotcha. Gotcha. What about, um, uh, I want to get to, you said calories a while ago. I want to touch on that, but you, um, what about like branch chain amino acids, um, for, for recovery, um, for endurance athletes? Yeah. So, I mean, I think if you're hitting your protein goals, so let's say, you know, it's not, I already mentioned kind of a number for total amount of protein, but, um, really optimal protein intake for athletes also looks at like per meal protein intake, mm. um, so uh, you should be getting in, you know, at least 25 grams of protein per meal or snack. So if yeah. you take that 1.6 grams, you know, per kilo, and we calculated how much um, protein that was, let's just say for ease of math, that it was 100 grams of protein, right? Yeah. A lot of people will eat like, you know, a big dinner and maybe a breakfast that has a lot of protein, but not have much protein during the day. And that's what they call skewed protein intake. In reality, you want to try to space that protein pretty evenly and consistently throughout the day. So you would rather, it would be better to have three meals and a snack that contained anywhere from like 20 to 25 grams of protein. And then maybe another snack at night that had a little more protein to get to that hundred grams. than it would be to, to have like two meals with large amounts of protein. Okay. And that's because 
spacing it that way keeps the amino acids um, in that protein, the branch chain amino acids consistently high over the course of the day, yeah. as opposed to letting them drop. And so you have higher total levels of most muscle protein synthesis, which is what helps with recovery and helps with, um, you know, repair of muscle, but also building new muscle. Um, and it is important for athletes. So if you're doing that kind of thing, you might not need branch chain amino acids, right? Because you're already yeah. getting them through your protein. Okay. The, the places that I would, would say, like put a little asterisk next to, or one, if you're a vegan, um, or a vegetarian, and most of your, your, uh, protein is coming from plant-based protein, you can be a super successful athlete and be plant-based. You just got to be a little more on it when it comes to your yeah. protein intake. Yeah. And that's because, um, plant-based protein, you, because of the high fiber content, we don't, it doesn't have as high of a digestive efficiency. It also has lower levels of um, certain essential amino acids and has lower levels of leucine, which is one of the branch chain amino acids that most of the research has been done with and is thought to be the main stimulator of muscle protein synthesis. So you can combat that by either eating totally like a total amount, excuse me, a total greater amount of protein. So yeah. where 20 to 25 grams of animal-based protein, I would say like 30 to 35 grams of plant-based protein to make yeah. up for those lower levels and um, lower digestive efficiency. Uh, you could also supplement with branch chain amino acids to bring up, you know, the levels of BCAA. So that would be one case um, where BCAAs would make sense. BCAs would also make sense if you're um, training early in the morning. So, and haven't had, protein, you know, prior, so, yeah. you know, running, doing long runs first thing in the morning or strength training first thing in the morning where you haven't had a meal containing protein, having some BCAAs 30 minutes before can really help with recovery. Gotcha. And then the other case is, um, for older athletes where the, um, the window or the amount of protein required to get the same effect, um, on muscle protein synthesis that we see at a younger age is much higher. So what, you know, 25 grams of protein might effectively maximize muscle protein synthesis in a 20 year old. Mm -hmm. What they're showing is for athletes that are 40 plus that amount is much closer to 40 grams of protein. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask you what, what's older. I'm older. Yeah. Ugh. I'm older too. <laughs> it's all right. That's all right. Um, gotcha. But yeah. you know, what ends up being the issue, you know, in terms of quality of life when we get older is our ability to keep moving Yeah. and it's harder to maintain muscle mass. The yeah. older we get, because, you know, maybe your, your, uh, your palate changes, maybe you're not as interested in food. And then on top of that, you have this higher um, anabolic threshold required as far as protein intake. So you have to take in even more protein to get the same result. Um, wow. And we want to keep muscle, right? Keeping yeah. muscle on our bodies is, helps us stay active. It helps our bones stay strong, particularly for women. Um, yeah. So I think you know, when people ask me, like, as an older athlete, what should I do? The two things I'm like, strength train. <laughs> two to three times a yeah. week. Yeah, and it's huge. It's huge. No matter what sport you're in, yeah. strength training two to three times a week and, and pay attention to your protein intake, you mm -hmm. know, try to get in as much protein as you can. And I think, you know, if you do those two things, the likelihood that you're going to get injured is going to go down and the likelihood that you're going to be able to keep doing what you love is, uh, is going to increase.
And, you know, you know, ultimately that's what it comes down to a lot of, uh, you know, I want to be able to, I want to be able to run. I want to be able to, if I decide to get on a mat again and, you know, I want to be able to do things and have a good quality of life and enjoy the outdoors. And, 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 you know, for, I want to be, I want to be an old man, you know, climbing a mountain, you know? Totally. And I think most people that, that are, the, that are listening, the ultra runners, that's, man, that's what they want to do. They want to, you know, want to do well and push themselves. Um, but, want to do this just for a long time, you know, at, at their best. And so that's, that's, that's good advice. Um, what is your, what does your week look like? Okay. You're, you're, you know, you're a wife, you're, uh, you've got, you've got this work, you've got, uh, kids, you do jujitsu. So what is your, what does your week look like? How do you, um, how do you maintain the balance and take care of yourself both physically and nutritionally and, you know, perform and be smart at work, you know, <laughs> without, I try dying. to do all those things. Sometimes I, don't see. <laughs> I understand. I understand. <laughs> What's your best attempt? <laughs> My best attempt. Yeah. Um, so I work, you know, typically Monday through Friday. Um, I train jujitsu typically Monday through Saturday. Um, so you do it, you do it daily. I do it daily. Okay. Yeah. If I can, sometimes work gets in the way, but, yeah. um, luckily afternoon and evening classes, the older I've gotten, the less training at night is really good for me because I already have issues sleeping. Um, and if I, tr- especially if I train jujitsu at night, there's no way I'm, I'm going to I'm sleep. I'm with you. Can't do yeah. it. <laughs> so, you know, and it's not that I don't prioritize sleep. I a hundred percent do. Like I am laying in bed at eight o'clock, hoping to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't happen. Um, so, you know, I try to train during the day as much as I can. Um, I strength train on uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays in the morning okay. at um, 6am. And then I run, uh, I try to run on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturdays. That doesn't always happen. But um, it, like I said before, like getting out on trails feeds my soul. So yeah, yeah. even if it's only for like 40 minutes, you know, yeah. it just, it balances me for the rest of the week. Um, being inside in an office or, um, you know, even being on the mats as much as I love jujitsu, it doesn't scratch the itch the same way. So yeah. I try to get out as much as I can. Um, my kids, luckily my mom lives near me and she's a huge help and my husband, um, works at home. So we all kind of work together. Yeah. Um, my, as I said, both my kids train jujitsu. My daughter is also a climber and we try to get out and take family trips as much as possible. We just were in this beautiful part of Idaho this past weekend called city of rocks, which is like our favorite place to go um, climbing for the weekend. And mm. just, it was amazing. Like camping, it was freezing and my kids were just troopers and they just love it out there. Like it's one of their favorite places too. So we try to expose them to as many sports as possible yeah. um, just to find what they like to do and, uh, luckily they both like jujitsu. I don't really force it on them. Um, yeah. My daughter competes and uh, loves it. And my son, he's just right now just loves going to class and has no desire to compete. And that's fine with me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say that's what a typical week looks like for me. Nutritionally, I try to do, I don't, not like a super strict meal prepper by any means, but what I try to do on Sundays is I try to make a lot of, um, base ingredients that I know I'm going to use throughout the week. So maybe that's making like a huge salad and a a huge um, like thing of brown rice in my pressure Mm -hmm. cooker. And I'll cook some chicken and cook some sausage and um, cut up some vegetables. 
and that I know are going to feed into dinners that my husband and I and my kids, um, you know, eat. And it just takes out, you know, maybe 20 minutes that we would have had to spend otherwise and, you know, makes the the preparation during the week a lot, a lot more quick, um, do a lot of leftovers for, for lunch. Um, and then breakfast, you know, it depends. Sometimes I'm in the mood for something like oatmeal that's more carb-based. And sometimes I'm in the mood for eggs. Um, and I try to just let what I'm feeling kind of dictate what I want. But I definitely don't. I'm not a big believer in demonization of any particular food. Right. Um, I, I fully believe that, you know, people have sensitivities to dif- different food or allergies to different food. So, yeah. you know if you can't eat gluten and you feel better not eating gluten, more power to you. Yeah. Um, but I love making sourdough bread. <laughs> <laughs> gluten and tastes love, go good. Yeah, yeah. And I love a fresh piece of bread with butter on it and yeah. that makes me feel good. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, I try to take the nutrition for all approach and be yeah. less of the like sitting on a soup soapbox and, and preaching about, you know, one thing or another. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love, you know, eating is a way I love cooking and I love eating with friends and I love trying different foods like different yeah. from different cultures. And it's really something that, um, you know, brings enjoyment to my life. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'd say that's me in a nutshell. Or no, that's, yeah, <laughs> in a particle. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's great. And I find, you know, when the wife and I, when we uh, sometimes we'll do it like a strict meal prep, but more often than not, we're like uh you know yesterday same thing cooking some 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 steak and then some uh, a turkey and you know or, or a turkey breast and you know different things that we yeah. just you know put together like for lunch i'll just grab some quinoa that we cooked and some you know and uh something green broccoli and then some one of the meats you know and that's what i have for you know anyway just prepping and being a little intentional about it helps because when you when you're not that's when you end up eating garbage <laughs> yeah i mean exactly like i um try i don't always succeed but i try to have something colorful at all of my Mm -hmm. you know meals and i try to make that the thing that's kind of most dominant on my plate um and being mindful about it and thinking about it when you go to the store when you're meal prepping on a sunday when you have more time to be mindful you know makes it easier during the week when you have less time exactly i'd say i'm similar similar approach to you Gotcha. Good, good. Well, I, 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 you validated what, what, what I'm doing. So that's good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so do you, do you find that, uh, and, and, uh, I think I heard you maybe talk about this, uh, especially ultra runners who are training for hundred milers and things like that, um, probably don't get enough calories. And when I, when I say that, I mean like you know, quality calories, but they probably don't get enough calories for what they're doing in training. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a physiological limit to the amount of carbohydrates that your body can absorb in a given hour. And that sadly, that limit is less than the amount of calories that we spend in that hour. So, I mean, the average person burns about 600 calories per hour running and the, that physiological limit is at 400 calories. Um, And most people have trouble taking in three, like 90 grams of carbs or 360 calories per hour. Um, and so you're operating, if you're even able to get in 360 calories per hour, that's a 240 calorie deficit that's building up every single hour. Right. And so you have, that's where the beauty of 
kind of becoming fat adapted or training your body to use more fat that we have stored everywhere. You know, it's proven ultra runners have more, um, what are called intramuscular triglycerides or fats stored in your muscles. So you, Mm. you are an endurance runner. Your body has adapted to endurance running by storing more fat in your muscles. And that fat is used to produce aerobic energy. Um, and you know, it's so like, a lot of people, Mike McKnight has shown like, you can fuel, you know, if you're crazy enough and and able to, you know, he did a hundred mile race. He didn't do it slow either. He did it like 18 hours. He had a great time. Zero calories, you know, so, Mm. um, where fat adaptation can make sense if you do it safely and do it correctly is it can make up for that deficit. And it can also lower the amount that you might need to take in from carbohydrates. So as opposed to trying to get as close as that threshold as you can, where also the risk of gut distress, you know, increases, the higher you bring your carbohydrates, the more likely you might experience some kind of GI issue. Um, Doing, making sure, you know, you get some fat adaptation either through increasing fats in your diet or through, um, you know, long, slow distance running doesn't even need to be fasted running, but long, slow, mm-hmm. um, consistent running, you know, below your aerobic thresholds, like in that zone one and two, that's just really yeah. boring and really monotonous. <laughs> like the more yeah. that you do that, the more cardiovascularly efficient you get. Mm-hmm. And in that cardiovascular efficiency, that zone one and two, your body preferentially burns fat. So the more time you spend in that zone, the faster you get in that zone. So you're able to run faster at a lower heart rate, which means your body's able to use fat as a fuel at a faster pace. And so you're cutting more at that deficit and you're reducing the amount of carbs that you need to take in. And therefore you're reducing the risk that you're going to have GI distress. And you're also, you know, making sure that you have enough energy for the long haul. So it makes a ton of sense in terms of that. Um, I think it's hard to do long, slow distance training and a lot of people hate doing it, but it's what you should be doing in your off season, just zone one and two running for hours upon hours upon hours, and it can make a huge difference. Um, and then translating all of that fitness that you gain in that off season and making sure that you're training efficiently, you know, during your race season and figuring out that nutrition piece, like we talked about earlier, practicing what you're going to do during your your training runs. I think that's where the magic happens where you can really dial in, you know, what's going to work for you on race day. Yeah. Run slow to run fast. That's totally hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it took me a while to figure that out and to actually practice it because like you said, it's not always fun. <laughs> it's not always fun. And when you first start running, it's, you know, your zone one and two might be walking. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. you're not, fit to be a runner. And so for people that just start out, they're like, well, wait, I'm running. Like if I'm walking, you know, walking is the most undervalued exercise you can do. Like it's so good for your body in that zone one and two, it's great for recovery. It can help with fat adaptation. Like we all need to walk and move more. I I agree. I agree. And you know, let's face it, you know, unless you're, you know, elite, during hundred milers or even some of our 200 milers, I mean, you're going to walk, you're going to hike, you know, it's, it's going to happen. So you might as well get efficient at it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I have, I have other notes, but, uh, I don't want to keep you longer than, than your time. Um, but, uh, how do you feel about creatine for endurance athletes? That's, that's something that, um, I was curious about. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of creatine for everybody. Um, There's some research showing that, you know, if we're talking about endurance specific benefits, there's some research showing um, that creatine is actually an intramuscular buffer. So, you know, there's aerobic metabolism when your body's able to take in enough oxygen to meet all your energetic demands. There's anaerobic metabolism, which kicks on when we get close to our VO2 max, where we are unable to take in as much oxygen as we need to meet our energy output, right? And that's when we get anaerobic metabolism kicking in to help produce energy in the absence of oxygen. Right. Um, It's important for people to know that we can burn fat and carbs aerobically. We cannot burn fat anaerobically. So that's why being on your low carb diet is not good for high intensity efforts. (laughs) Um, But, you know, back to creatine, when we produce energy anaerobically, which as much as, you know, it's an endurance sport, anaerobic metabolism plays a role. Um, we produce acid or, or hydrogen ions as a byproduct. And, you know, people be like, Oh, my muscles are burning. And, you know, for a long time, people were like, Oh, the lactic acid in reality, it's not lactic acid that makes your muscles burn through aerobic or anaerobic metabolism, you produce lactate, which interestingly, your body can actually shuttle and turn into a fuel and you produce hydrogen ions. And it's actually the hydrogen ions that increase that acidity. Um, So back to creatine. So what creatine as an intramuscular buffer can do is it kind of dampens that rise in acidity. Um, That's what buffers do is they kind of slow down the rise in pH And it's that rise in in acidity that eventually leads to muscular failure. So if you can bring something in, um, that's also how an ingredient called beta alanine, which is in a lot of pre-workouts also works. Um, It makes you tingly. The one that makes you tingly. Yeah. So (laughs) that's also, it's also um, pretty well established that it's an effective intramuscular buffer. So they actually help with endurance by slowing that, that rise in um, acid. There's also a lot of research showing, although the mechanism is not really understood, but that um, folks on creatine are less likely to get injured. So they've done a lot of um, a lot of studies on pro sports teams. So not exactly, obviously, endurance running, but um, putting half of the team on creatine, the other half of the team on not creatine, and then looking at uh, injury rates, and they see less overall injury. Um, and this has been across. Uh, I think pro soccer, um, pro basketball and, and pro and collegiate football that the athletes on creatine are less likely to get injured. Wow. On top of that, um, as you probably know, if you've ever taken creatine, um, and a lot of the reason why creatine gets a bad name is when creatine stored similar to carbohydrate, when glycogen stored, it's Mm -hmm. stored with a little bit of water. Yep. So another, you can tell I'm not a fan of low carbohydrate diets, but when you go on a low carbohydrate diet and you instantly lose a lot of weight, it's not fat, it's water weight. Yeah, um, yeah. Your body's shedding the water as your glycogen levels decrease. Um, but the same thing with creatine. So creatine stored with water. Yeah. So it helps with um, hyperhydration, which can help with thermoregulation, mm. um, which is a great thing for endurance runners. On top of that has nothing to do with athletics, but there's a lot of really promising research showing it can help with depressive symptoms. Really? Uh, And, you know, interesting also in the brain stuff, since we have been talking about MMA, um, it also can help with um, brain trauma. So they actually give creatine to a lot of athletes 
um, in MMA that experience brain trauma as a therapy. Um, but in just non-athletic populations, yeah. um, it can help reduce depressive symptoms and in some cases help people come off of um, prescription strength d- depression meds. I don't know exactly what kind, but continue the research if anybody's interested. Holy um, smokes. That's yeah. yeah. I mean, there are some MDs that will be like, everyone should be on creatine. <laughs> like there's it's probably one of the safest supplements. There have mm-hmm. been more um, safety studies done on creatine than any other supplement. And um it's safe. Not that I'm saying kids should take it, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. it ha- you know, if your kid's a serious athlete, there's a lot of research showing it's safe for kids to take. Like if they're, you know, going like a gymnast who's training like four hours a day, like yeah. every day, potentially, or pe- kids that are training that much and are at, at a really serious level in sport could potentially consider taking it. Um, and you don't, for a long time, people thought you needed to do creatine loading phases, which yeah. is taking a lot of creatine early on to build up levels in your muscle. Um, but in reality, just taking a three to five gram dose will get you the same place. It'll just take longer to to realize those benefits than if yeah. you did a loading phase, which gets you kind of at that saturation point in your muscles more quickly. Um, and we get it naturally through our diet um, when we consume meat. So if you are a plant-based athlete, most creatine um, that you find in supplemental form is vegan. And, and you, because your baseline levels are low because you don't yeah. get creatine through your diet, you know, plant-based athletes will probably feel supercharged um, because of it. So I'm, I take it. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, I, I mix it with my with my collagen and my protein. <laughs> I, put, I put in creatine every you know every day, um, I, and I didn't realize all of those those benefits. And it's cheap. I mean, it's, it's yeah. If, if you buy creatine monohydrate, I know there's some ethoesters and some others that. Yeah, most of the research, I would hundred percent recommend creatine monohydrate. Most of the other claims about absorption, those are just marketing claims. Okay. Most of the studies have been done with creatine monohydrate. It is absorbed really well. It's absorbed even what better if you take it with some carbohydrates. Um, but also there's a creatine shortage right now. So if you, oh, really? yeah, if your brand of creatine, if you see a price increase, that's probably why supply chain issues and everything that's going on in the world oh, um, is creating a lot of trouble um, getting certain ingredients and, and, the people that have those ingredients are driving the prices up. So, oh man, okay, I need to yeah. hurry up and find some more because I'm running low. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, um, well, I definitely, um, definitely going to be trying out Fuel 2.0 because you know I'm always looking for the, um, um, looking for the, what what'll work. You know what'll yeah, work yeah. for me and 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 what'll taste good, what'll be good for my palate, but what'll fuel me for my runs. And I've got I've got stuff coming up, so <laughs> I'm trying everything. And um and so um you know definitely uh, I like I like what you guys do. I like the um I don't know I like the clarity of what's in your products. You know um awesome. Thank you. We, you know we, we all want to take care of ourselves and we don't want to inadvertently take something we don't mean to take. Um, so, so I think that's, I think it's important for a lot of people that are listening. Um, and so, um, so I don't know, that's, I think that's a great mission. Um, anything, anything new or, uh, any on the horizon coming for gnarly? Um, you know, we're just, we recently changed our packaging. So we had always been in, uh, plastic tubs and mm-hmm. we wanted to kind of move to more sustainable packaging, something that had a better recycling rate than, than plastic. Yeah. Um, and so we just moved a lot of our, 
our products that were formerly in kind of the classic big protein tubs to um, stainless steel containers. So um, steel is recycled at a rate of like 70% versus plastic at 8%. um, And it's acceptable in most curbside recycling programs. And uh, so we're really proud of that. And our our products that are still in bags are in um, recyclable plastic bags. So we're really trying to improve kind of the footprint of the company in terms of, you know, just product packaging and, and, you know, we all want to have lovely trails and a beautiful environment to enjoy. And we want to have it for our kids to enjoy. So um, trying to take the responsibility that's ours, you know, for that. Um, But yeah, if if you haven't checked out our brand, come visit us on gonarly.com and um, you know, we're doing a lot of fun things always. We just gave away a couple entries to vacation races and we have a lot of fun events that we're partnered with. We'll be at Cocodona. So crazy ultra runs (laughs) and I'm giving hopefully in the next couple of weeks, a little nutrition talk to um, some of the Cocodona participants. So, you know, come, come visit us and see what we we've got in store. Awesome. Awesome. So, so two, two final questions real quick. When, when, when are you going to race again? You're going to, you're going to run any races again? Got any, anything you want to do? Good, good question. Um, I've always wanted to do, uh, to get back and do the rut again or do the, okay. um, the, the, what is it called? Is it, in, it's another sky race. Um, so one of the really crazy okay. altitude races yeah. in the U S for it's, it's escaping me now, but the Cirque series races are in our backyard and they're, you know, relatively short compared to what you do, <laughs> but get up in mountains, some pretty, man. <laughs> yeah, get up in some pretty mountains. And yeah. so I want to do some of those this year. Um, and my husband and I have some, some plans and I've always wanted to do the Zion Traverse just on my own, not as part of a race. It's like yeah. 60 miles. Um, so those are definitely things that I have on my bucket list. Good, good, good. I just got to make sure you're still running, you know? <laughs> oh, I, prom- I promise. I will always run. Always. No. Well, uh, when's your next jiu-jitsu tournament? May 15th. May 15th. All right. Which one <laughs> yeah. is it? That was so quick. I'm doing the Denver Open. Um, okay. And then uh, I have to look at my my schedule, but I always do Master Worlds. And so, and that's the um, Master okay. Worlds is in september this year so um i'll gear up for that and i i don't know I, i'm not sure supposedly we're doing a belt test this summer so that might be my first competition at brown belt which will be oh. scary yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, when, you, when you get to brown belt you can do knee bars and you can do oh, toe holds yeah. and like mm, all the awesome think things of that. that you weren't able to do at the lower belts which in some ways is like ooh. And yeah. in some ways it's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that, that'll be something that I'm kind of working yeah. on throughout the summer, trying to get in a good spot for that. Well, yeah. I remember going to my first tournament, uh, with, with my blue belt on and I was like, yay, but Ooh, you know, what's going to happen. It's always kind of <laughs> scary. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's always kind of scary. Um, but you know, I, I, I read a great quote from a friend of mine who, who competes at a pretty high level. Um, and, you know, I think it's about the journey, right? Win, lose yeah. or draw, yeah. um, you know, get out there and compete, not because I like love competing, but because 
I find it hard and challenging and mm. I like, I mean, I think you could say the same thing for why you run 250 miles. Yeah. It's hard and challenging and you like to challenge yourself and yeah. that's where growth occurs. And, um, and so figuring out how to love that process and appreciate what it does for you is what, what it's really all about. I love it. I love it. Shannon, thank you so much for, for visiting. I love your mindset. Uh, and, uh, I'll be watching to see how you do at the tournaments. Awesome, dude. <laughs> I'll be watching for you and waiting for that picture of you and the gi on the return to the mats. I'll send it. Cause I, okay. I have a feeling it's coming. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for the time and for having me. It was really a pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. Pleasure was mine. Take care. You too.